you're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. And today we're doing a rather interesting episode talking about social media and more specifically the role of social media editors for simulation journals. And I'm joined by two of my friends, Sandra Vigors and Jessica Stokes Parrish, who are the social media editors for Advances in Simulation and BMJ Stell. So we're going to go through a little bit about these roles, what they do. They're both quite new to them, so this is evolving, uh, but I think it'll be an interesting chat and hopefully a chance for our listeners to reflect on how they use social media and its role in helping to support their own simulation scholarship, either as consumers or indeed as researchers. So first up, Jessica Stokes Parish, uh, one of our simulcast co-producers, and just recently appointed assistant professor of medicine at Bond University, and as we know, leading light in the Australian sim community uh, in her roles in Simulation Australasia and the Sim Congress, and social mediator of BMJ Stell. How are you, Jess? Good, thanks, Vic. <laughs> and my um, second guest, Sandra Vigors, also no stranger to simulcast listeners, uh, who's currently working as an anaesthesia trainee in Denmark. And as we might know, part of the furniture at CAMES, the Copenhagen Academy for Medical Education and Simulation. And she's done a couple of episodes with us on her own research work, but she's here today as the social media editor for Advances in Simulation. How are you, Sandra? I am fine. Thank you for having me back. Very good. Well, I thought what might be good, because although very familiar to us, it might be worth just giving a little profile of each of the journals. Uh, and so I'm going to ask each of them just to tell us broadly what the journal does and uh, what its focus areas are. So uh, maybe, uh, Sandra, you can tell us a little bit about Advances. Yes. So um, Advances in Simulation is the official journal of CESAM, the Society for Simulation in Europe. Um, it's a simulation society established in my hometown, Copenhagen, back in 1994. And so Advances in Simulation is the related journal with the aim of sharing scholarly practice to advances or to advance the use of simulation in healthcare and healthcare in a broader perspective, meaning that healthcare, when we deliver it to patients, is complex and involves modern medicine and the traditional research findings from traditional research methodologies um, that we normally use. And so Advances in Simulation, therefore, is multi and interprofessional, covering all aspects of health and social care, with a focus on how simulation can assist the delivery to our patients and healthcare systems. Mm, fantastic. And I guess first to note here, I'm also an editor at Advances, so I have more than a passing familiarity with the work that you're talking about. Uh, it's an open access journal and it's all online, so you can't even get yourself a printed version. Is that right? That's right. Yes. And uh, as you might know, we've had a collaboration with Advances here at Simulcast and try and do a profile of the papers uh, in the in the journal and uh, do one deep dive every couple of months with an author of the papers. And we're developing a similar collaboration with BMJ Stella. Tell us about that journal, Jess. So BMJ Stell, otherwise known as BMJ Simulation and Technology Enhanced Learning, um, it's the official journal of ASPE, the Association for Simulated Practice in Healthcare in the UK, and it was started by Nick Sevdalis, um, gosh, I don't even know what year, 
Um, but its aims have traditionally been more around technology-enhanced learning with an emphasis on technology. Um, so lots of technical reports, uh, research and innovation related to serious games or technology-based activities. Uh, in the last year, uh, Professor Deborah Nestel has taken over. So after she departed advances, she's moved on to BMJ Stell. And so there is a little bit of change happening and, and that's where I've come along. Um, and so I guess trying to build the Southern Hemisphere engagement a little bit more as well. So hence my involvement too. Mm, fantastic. Yeah. And it's probably a good chance to give a shout out to both uh, Deborah Nestel and to Gabe Reedy, who's the current um, uh, editor-in-chief at Advances, who've been really supportive, I think, of our collaborations with Simulcast, but also uh, in collaboration across the simulation community. And they've fostered those in a very inclusive way uh, through the journals, but also in many, many other ways. All right, well, let's get into this whole idea of what even does a social media editor do and what do we hope to achieve with it? Uh, Sandra, you've been kicking around in this social media space for a while, um, but tell us, what, what do you think is that role at a journal like Advances? So I think as a SOMI editor, you take on a big role in disseminating the research. As an author, um, the job is pretty much done when the article is accepted for publication and goes out online or offline. Or at least that is what we probably used to think. Um, because research is, of course, not just about getting published. It's also about getting those research finding out to where it matters. Uh, being patients, decision makers, or the many of our professional colleagues um, out there working in healthcare. Um, if that does not happen, nothing changes. And so I think many journals are starting to think more and more about how they can get their data and information out and make it easy and more accessible to their target audience. And so audience is found at least some of the time with their phone in their hand. And that calls for a social media editor to create that presence in the blue light. Um, but we're not advertising. Um, that's annoying. We're not just there to create noise and generate traffic. Um, we're there to actually help our readers find the knowledge they need and want and help our authors get the message through. So... As a social media editor, the goal is to translate research into something that can remind people that here is something you need to read more about. Um, and to make it happen, I think a social media editor um, also plays a role in creating a community and starting the conversation, so to say. So um, what is worth talking about for people like us? and with the opportunity to kickstart that conversation online. Yeah, I think they're lovely ways of expressing that, Sandra. Uh, you know, it's audience you want, not traffic, uh, not advertising, really important. And as you say, it's about not telling people what to think, but rather what to think about and creating those conversations. Uh, I know Jess will have some thoughts, but I suppose the thing that people jump into quite quickly um, is what platforms, what does that actually look like? Uh, Sandra, do you want to give us some thoughts? It, it sounds like it's not just you on your phone on Twitter. No, <laughs> um, So there are different platforms where you can kind of create or foster, facilitate that 
um, community um, that you're trying to build and get people engaged in. So it can be on the journal webpage. Um, it can be Twitter. It can be Instagram. It can be Facebook. It can be many different places. What I think is most important is that you, uh, that the journals in the editorial groups kind of discuss where can we find our target audience and where does it make sense for us to be present? Um, because it can be a huge job if you have to manage a whole bunch of platforms and it can also be a huge waste of time if um, you don't spend your time wisely where your audience they are. Mm, absolutely. We might come back to how we know about that shortly, but I might uh, go to Jess now. And do you have a similar philosophy, Jess, or different uh, things? Yeah, I would echo a lot of what Sandra has, has outlined there. And I think it's often a little bit tricky for journals to work out what is it that they actually want to achieve. And so I think that's where this whole idea of being a social media editor is such a new thing because there is no frame of reference and, and it is a little bit of creativity up to us of how we think that it would work and um, and also just being a part of the simulation community, knowing that I miss so much all the time, even though I have Google alerts, even though I'm on social media, I miss new papers coming out often. And so the, I often think about the way that I schedule content for BMJ Stell and I think now what what value would this paper be for the community and would they have missed it because it was published three years ago but it's still relevant today and we're still having these conversations and so often that's how I kind of frame my thinking. Mm, and I think that's important isn't it because often a new entrant into the conversation, the scholarly conversation does connect to something else. So it does mean you have to keep a little bit of a open ear and a good memory for things or have a very good system for how to retrieve it and search back through it. Uh, can I ask you then, coming back to the platform things and the engagement and the strategy for finding your audience, how do you know if you've succeeded, Jess? Uh, what sort of measures do you have? Um, so, again, it comes back to what is it that the journal wants to achieve in the first place. So is it that they want more people reading their papers or is it that they want more people engaging in conversation? And if they want more people engaging in conversation, then you're looking more for things like comments or retweets with comments. Um, and, and again, that whole idea of which platform do you choose? You can go in and look at the journals data and who who mostly submits. And it's also about knowing your community as well. So I, I feel like I have a pretty good handle of who the simulation community is. And I can also see where the new growth will come to. And so then that shapes kind of how you think about what platforms should I be using? Um, do we want to be targeting a younger audience or the newer trainees that are coming through? Then maybe we need to think beyond Twitter. Those are the kinds of conversations that we're having. Perish the thought, TikTok and Snapchat. <laughs> I know. I know. No, Snapchat <laughs> is old now, Vic. It's definitely um, TikTok. <laughs> Simulcast. 
okay, so I think you're right. How do we know what the audience is? But I am aware that alt metrics can be one particular measure. Uh, and for listeners, if you actually have a look at either of these journals, you'll find some of the metrics that is on the website next to the journal includes the alt metrics, which includes uh, Twitter um uh, profiles, uh, appearances on blog posts, appearances on other social media sites, and you actually end up with a number according mm. to the social media promotion of it. Now, how useful that is, I'm not sure. But it's often interesting to me that the accesses of the article don't necessarily correlate with those alt metrics. So it does seem that some people do a good job of social media promotion, while others may get um, accessed through different means. So I guess this is a little bit of a work in progress in terms of working out the uh, scholarship even of social media. And I'll make reference here to some of our North American friends, Teresa Chan, Brent Toma, uh, and others like Jeff Riddell, who've actually done work on does having tweets or infographics or other social media promotion actually increase article accesses. Um, any thoughts on that, Sandra, and the idea about whether we measure the impact of our social media strategies? So I, I think we should. I mean, if we're spending time doing something, we would like to know if it works. Um, it would be unwise not to. Um, so we need to figure this out. And we also need to figure out, um, because as we just said earlier, we're not about generating traffic. It doesn't matter if people click a link. What matters if they engage um, with that link and if they gain something from it, and if it adds to the discussion online, but also to the world as we go to work. Um, and so this whole and translation and research is not unique for social media. It's the, you, me, all of us have read a lot of papers, and then we've gone to work and done exactly what we used to do. So knowledge translation, we still have to figure that out also for this topic. Can I push I, back a little bit on the, the traffic, the not wanting traffic idea? Um, sure. Only, only because I think part of the goals of journals obviously is to get more submissions and to increase the quality of submissions that are given. And so one of the ways we might be able to achieve that, in my mind, is by increasing traffic to the social media page because then it provides exposure for the journal. Somebody comes across it that they haven't seen before. So although it may not be the end goal, it is certainly a means, in my view, to getting some more exposure for the journal and increasing the quality of the work that is disseminated. Yep. Go for it, Sandra. Yeah, and of course I agree with what is being said, <laughs> but I, I still want to... Like make a point here is that is that I follow journals and I have unfollowed journals because of them trying to generate traffic, which is for me as a person, as an individual practitioner, I don't care. So I think it's important when you have your strategy that you really try to balance out on what platform are you trying to achieve what kind of traffic um, because noise is just annoying. Mm, yeah, it shouldn't be advertising. Mm. Uh, all right, so let's um, 
put a little bit of a personal spin on this because clearly we're evolving the actual role, but it's probably of interest to listeners to hear how you even got into this. What's your background? Because I think we're all talking about our own personal media, social media sort of presence as well. So uh, Jess, maybe do you want to give just a bit of brief personal history about you and social media? Sure. <laughs> social media and I have always had a tense uh, relationship. No. Um, I, I uh, started off by doing some social media work for Simulation Australasia. I can't even remember how it happened, but I think I just noticed that it needed to be done. And um, so I took that over for a couple of years and directed the strategy there and scheduled across, I don't know, four different platforms. It was very time consuming. Um, but what it did result in was an increase in ticketing, registrations, exposure for the conference. So there was real tangible impacts. And then alongside that kind of personally, I was seeing how there was the rise of influencers, the rise of non-expert individuals spouting knowledge that they had absolutely no qualifications to do so. And I thought, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Um <laughs> And and so I, over the last couple of years, I've kind of been experimenting on different platforms like Instagram to just see how the general public engages with health science information. And so that, that's kind of the way that I've been involved and I've quite enjoyed it actually. Yeah. Oh, very interesting stuff. And uh, add to that, I am aware you've also done a lot of work with uh, women in STEM uh, and I think more broadly, clearly than simulation or health professions education. Uh, Sandra, can I ask you the same question? How did you sort of get into this social media thing? Um, yeah. So I was at a conference here in uh, Copenhagen in emergency medicine and um there was this guy sitting sitting in front of me and he was on Twitter talking about what happened at the conference. And this guy was uh, Simon Carley from St. Emlyn's. And so I was thinking, wait a minute, I have a Twitter account that I use for figure skating because I used to be a figure skater. <laughs> and um, so I went online and I tweeted to him about something he had talked about. And he turned around and he was like, that's you. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this tool is useful. <laughs> um, so I actually started using social media and especially Twitter for my own learning, inspired by Simon Carley. And then I went online and tried to figure this whole thing out. And I found you, Vic, and I found Smack. And I started thinking, okay, I know something about learning this can be useful for learning. So I started designing this whole emergency medicine conference for medical students from around the world and made a conference where you, Vic, attended um, via social media um, and uh, saw the impact it had on how we could just engage and create a community. And that led to me talking about medical students and how we can be involved in our own education and designing it um, at Smack. And then I made a blog and a podcast and got involved in the teaching course um, where we talked a lot about how we can use social media for learning. So I kind of took all of my simulation knowledge and interest in how we learned and then 
transform that into how can we use social media as a learning strategy. So for you, it was kind of a very natural thing because in parallel with that, you were involved at CAMES uh, doing your uh, simulation as a medical student and then using some of those things. Uh, nice story. And just for listeners who aren't aware of SMAC, when Sandra says she found SMAC, she's not referring to the drug. She's referring to the conference, Social Media and Critical Care, uh, which many of you might know, has been very instrumental, I think, in bringing social media and many of these technology-enabled learning into the mainstream, uh, certainly in some of our professional groups in critical care. Uh, so I suppose that that is actually a very nice illustration of another question that I had talking about our personal social media strategies. So we've talked about it in terms of enabling the journal to disseminate, but have either of you got tips for the people listening and thinking, yeah, but how do I consume? How will I actually access these things? Maybe I can get alerts from BMJ Stell. Maybe I should just be following advances on Twitter. Um, so maybe, Jess, you could kick us off here. What what sort of personal social media strategies do you think people should have that will allow them to stay up to date? So I think that comes down to, again, setting your goals and, and your boundaries. What What's your agenda? And I think there's two arms to that there's one what is the what's the agenda for consuming content and what's your agenda for creating content if if you do want to create content because sometimes you'll decide actually creating content isn't for me I just want to consume the content Um, so I find that's often the hardest part is working out and defining what it is that you want to achieve um, because it can be quite overwhelming. And that I think in my view too, that includes boundaries around how are you going to protect your professional identity? How are you going to protect your legal, ethical stuff? Um, you know, it, it goes into a lot more kind of granular detail. Absolutely. And I'm reminded of an excellent book chapter written by Brazel, Stokes, Parish, and Spur that people might uh, like to read, but we'll link to in the show notes, which just goes into some more depth about that as a more generic social media strategy. Uh, Sandra, would you uh, agree with that and or add to that? Yes, completely agree with what um, is being said. And I also think that, um, so again, um, when we only used books, there were far too many books for us to read. We had to filter that knowledge somehow. And we did that, that by um, getting recommendation from our friends, which one was the best to read, which one was um, giving the best overview, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then we went online. And then again, the bookshelf was just enormous. So filtering what comes into your social media platforms is something you need to learn how to do. And, and so when you get online and you create a profile, for example, on Twitter, it will ask you to follow a whole bunch of people that it thinks you will find interesting. And you have to learn to say no, because we can't consume that much information and that amount of data. So getting, getting to, getting to learn how to filter your content is probably the most important step to begin with. Then we can discuss if you kind of filter too much out so that you're only presented with things you know and create like an illusion of knowing, which is an important thing to remember when we're talking about learning. Um, and then you may have to open up a bit more again. Um, but learning how to filter data is probably one of the most important steps. 
Yes, and I'm reminded of that phrase. Uh, it's actually not information overload, it's filter failure. Um, but I really love your analogy there about we've always had this problem. Uh, it's just that we have to have slightly new ways of critique and appraisal to find quality in amongst actually quite a lot of data and information. All right, so I guess uh, we probably could talk all day, but we better not. Uh, and I guess I'm just interested now in some future gazing and uh, can ask you both to think about what, what do you think is the future of social media in simulation, uh, in scholarship and maybe in general? Uh, Jess, just take on that easy question for us. Some thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think social media provides us with a lot of opportunities, uh, particularly around disruption of hierarchies, the provision of ease of access. And I think one of the challenges that specifically the healthcare community and then by default the healthcare education community will struggle with is uh, using social media as a means of communication for staff. Um, you know, I think this pandemic has been the perfect example of what an opportunity. You've got captive audiences of health professionals feeling you know, that they need direction, they need information. And to me, that's the perfect opportunity for the executives of the hospital to go, okay, let's use this as our opportunity to communicate directly with our staff, disrupt the hierarchy. Um, but I'm still seeing in some ways, rightly so, that a lot of organisations are very risk averse when it comes to social media. And so there's some hesitation. So I think it's an opportunity to disrupt and I think we need to embrace it because a new generation of uh, graduates are expecting that this is how we will communicate with them and they're not necessarily wanting traditional face-to-face -face formats. Yeah, absolutely. And apparently the word for that is digital teaming. Uh, so this isn't just an individual person doing their digital learning at home on their Twitter account, but digital teaming. And just so you know, that is not original. In fact, it was me scrolling through Teresa Chan's Twitter feed and she did a thread of talk she'd done where she actually talked about this as one of the things that we're here to stay. And uh, digital teaming, I think, is a nice way of thinking about it. Hmm. Uh, all right, Sandra, can I have your predictions and uh, crystal ball gazing? Yes, so I think um, what Jessica said is right. Um, the pandemic, um, a small virus can change everything and how we usually do things, but the world is changing as well. Um, the climate is, is changing. We can't fly everywhere uh, constantly. Um, the world, the, the people, we are getting so smart that we constantly create and generate new knowledge and new data. We can't consume all of it. So creating those online community of practices where we can save time by not flying and not going to the other end of the world, um, where we can find knowledge tailored and designed for us and engage with people around that and then move on to the next digital team and do the same. I think that is absolutely necessary um, for us in the world that we live in today. Mm, absolutely.
All right. Well, thank you both. This has been a very interesting chat. And again, just for listeners, we'll ensure you've got the links for advances in simulation and BMJ simulation and technology enabled learning, enhanced learning. And uh, look out for social media posts from both of these uh, women, as well as from the (coughs) institutions. And at Simulcast, we're looking forward to continuing to have our profiles of some of the literature that's emerging and continuing these sorts of discussions about how uh, those of us in the simulation community can access some of these great conversations as well as how we can contribute to them. So uh, Jess and Sandra, can I thank you both very much? Thanks Thanks for having us. Simulcast.